I'm going to pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. God, we pray that you would um, give us, as the Apostle Paul prayed, a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know you, the hope to which you are called, all that you've given those that you call your saints. Lord, we're grateful of your mercy. We pray that the words and the meditations of our heart will be pleasing and acceptable to you in your eyes. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are leading us in this day. Um, I pray that you would just give us a deeper deeper revelation of you as we um, gather here. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. I, uh, thank you. I uh, hardly can't listen to that song with having my memory jogged. I, uh, I get to, I get to go with my, my grandparents to their choir practice when I was a kid and watch them lead people to lead the church in worship. And so I, I, I uh, brought me back to those moments. And I think one of the things that is can be a bit frustrating in our I'm gonna pull this down. I want to be able to see you guys over here. It can be a bit frustrating in our culture um, that greatly prioritizes the desires and the wants of, of an individual alone is that the way sometimes we pursue our faith <clears throat> is something that's like only ours or only mine. And when you think about the story of Jacob in the lineage of Abraham, his father was promised to go to this land that God would give him that he did not know, and he ended up showing it to be this land of Canaan. And Joseph was, you know, through his sort of circum- set of circumstances and events, and had found himself down in, in Egypt, and there was famine in the land. And Jacob was trying to decide, do I go down? And the Lord came to him and said, I am the God of your father. He's like, and it's, you know, basically he's giving him the green light. Like, yes, go up to Egypt, be with your son. And I think for me the reason for that is because God had led his family, he had led his, his grandfather Abraham to abide in this land as a promise from God. And so leaving that land was not, lightly done. And he needed this sort of confirmation from God that, hey, this is actually going to be a part of the same journey that I sent your grandfather on in his faith walk. And I think that when we, this is not what I'm preaching on today, but just made me think, I think that as we are considering and reflecting and praying through what the walk, what our walk looks like, all of us will have to ask new questions, ask the same questions, examine and reflect. But we cannot forget that we are a part of a story of God that's been being shaped for a long time. And I think it's very easy for us to have a tendency to have this idea that, that we possess our faith singularly within ourselves rather than, the, rather than understanding that we are caught up into a river of God that's been moving from Jesus. 
So I don't know. Just for what it's worth, um, if you find yourself alone, you're thinking the wrong way. Not only is that a terrible place to be, it's, I mean, all of us have felt alone at times. So there's no shame in that. I'm just saying it's not the way to think and, and reach out, you know, and recognize that not only are you part of a community here and probably part of other, you know, communities that have influenced your life, but also like you're part of a bigger story. And anyway, um, I want to come back to what I, what I do want to talk to you about today, which is I want to give you a question today. I want to give you a question that I hope will linger with you. Um, Jesus asks a lot more questions to people than we would like to admit or think. And sometimes those questions have a way of shaping us as much as what he says sort of declaratively. Let me get a drink of water. Okay. How many are you with me? And Jesus, Jesus asked far more questions than we'd like to admit. Jesus asked a really specific question. I've mentioned to you that I've writing, been writing a book on John 21 and Jesus' interaction with Peter to tell him to, to call him to feed the sheep. And in that interaction, it's actually not the question I'm going to focus on, but I'm going to linger on it for a minute. Jesus asked the question three times in a row to Peter. He says what? You may know what the question is. Do you love me? And he asked him this question, do you love me? And when Peter says, yes, do you love me? He says, then feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. And so when Jesus asks Peter a question, he lets him sit on the question. He also, as he responds, gives him an if-then. You know what an if-then is? It's like, if you love me, well, okay, now if then you love me, then do this, do this thing. Feed my sheep. But the question might be the most crucial part of this interaction, not just the, the declaration or the command. The question might be the most crucial part. I feel like this question, do you love me, lingers over every aspect of our lives. I think that we wake up and this question can present itself to us. I think every interaction of the day, of like all of life, I'm not saying it's the only question, but I think there's the question there from the Lord. Do you love me? Little things, big things. I remember getting to go to the mountain that's on the big island of Hawaii. And you drive, you, at the very top it's frozen. You drive most of the way up and you will get to a place where it's one of the most uniquely places where you can look at stars in the world. The sky is very clear. It's very high up. Um, and so you go up there, and there are these like amateur astronomers who bring out their telescopes. I think all of these guys are probably Star Trek and Star Wars fans, and um, probably still build Legos. And I can relate a little. But they... You go up, and you pay like $5, and you get to look up into the stars for a little bit. And I remember looking in a telescope, 
And I can literally, I can see very, very visibly, I can see Saturn. And I can see the rings around Saturn. Just like, just exactly like your kid's solar system model. Just like big old rings. I'm sitting there looking at this and I'm just like, oh my gosh. Like, Lord, you have created incredible beauty. You've created incredible beauty. We have a universe with literally billions of stars and galaxies. And it's like all of this beauty, people are like, well, why does this exist? All of this beauty is there to say we have a good creator who loves us. It's like you could look at anything in our world, at any interaction, and in the hint of that, there is, I love you. But there's also the question, do you love me? Like, can you imagine like looking at the stars and seeing, as you're looking there, just feeling that? How many of you have ever looked up at the stars and wonder? You can feel both the, I love you, and do you love me? I, I really think if we let it, all of life will teach us this question is it's, it's always there. He's always calling us. I have a different question. Jesus is probably more fundamental because he's Jesus. But I have a question I want to give to you today. And sometimes our minds work like kind of like computer algorithms sometimes. And sometimes a question is maybe the most powerful thing to drop in there to glitch the system a little bit. And so I have a question for you. It's also in Scripture. I'll just state the question and let it linger with you. And the question is, to ask yourself is, how do I please God? How do I please God? I want to read to you from Hebrews 11, 1 through 1-6. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made out of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death, and was not found because God had not taken him. Was found because God had taken him, I'm sorry. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. One of the things I love about, this is a total rabbit trail side point, but one of the things I love about um, about going to a, a church where they, ha they have some liturgy is, and we've incorporated some of this in our own community, is that uh, there is just reading of, of the scripture and reading of the text and not only sermons about the scripture. Because sometimes I think that we become so comfortable with commentary like, I'm just giving you commentary, you know. Um, and I'm not saying that what I have is not 
from the Lord. I believe at times it is, and probably at times I miss it. But, but it's very helpful. Like when I just read that, I was just really stirred. Just reading. It's very helpful for us to read like primary text. And we're just very used to, in actually lots of categories of life, reading commentary and hearing commentary rather than... So anyway, for what it's worth, that's a really good scripture. Um, but the writer of Hebrews is telling us at the end of this like sort of portion, he's saying, in order to please God, we must do so by what? Faith. And so I just want the, to linger over this question, which kind of answers, but I want to linger over this question. How do I, we, please God? I, I think that the main question that we often ask, if we're honest with ourselves, is what will give me a good life or pleasure? And I think that we seek to answer this through our, through our not through faith, but through our understanding. How many of you have ever had like a situation where you think so much about it that you just end up into worry a lot? Like, very often, we try to sort out the bad and the good in our life through understanding. But I think we're often asking this question, what will give me a good life? And I want to just throw out to you some examples of how deep this question is in our society. What, what happens if this is a fun thing, if, you don't, if you're not aware of this, you can play with this. How many of you, what happens, knows what happens if you go to Chick-fil-A and say thank you? My pleasure. Every time. Chick-fil-A is, is, I mean, there's so many jokes, you know, but it's fast food in heaven. Like, it normally runs, like, I love Whataburger, but I just am prepared, like, listen to a chapter of a book while you sit in the Whataburger line, because it's going to be 30 minutes. Um, but Chick-fil-A, that thing is just pumping every time. And you can say thank you six times, and they're going to say, my pleasure, six times. Uh, that's right, yeah. <laughs> thank you. And then they say, my pleasure. Anyway, play with this. Say thank you a lot next time you go to Chick-fil-A. And, but my kids, they, they all have different orders. Like, it confuses me. Judah likes, he doesn't want, he wants fruit over french fries. Which every time he orders that, I'm just like, Lord, did I do something wrong? You know? And, but when you go to a fast food joint, you never go to a fast food joint that only has one option. They're, they're always asking you, what do you want? And how many of you, how many of you have had many uh, nights stalled on a date or with your family because you couldn't figure out what it was that you wanted to eat? Raise your hand if this has ever been an option. Yeah. <laughs> We're always, like, how many times a week do you think you ask yourself the question, what do I want to eat? All the time. Yeah, because you live in a world of options. Now, I want you to just think about this. If you were growing up in 1860 Ireland and your father was most likely a potato farmer, you, you know, like, if you show up to dinner, like, what are we going to have to eat? Potatoes. What are we going to have tomorrow night? Well, 
I think there's going to be some potatoes. Well, here's a potatoes. Thank you. They ate some other things. I'm being a little exaggerative, but not really. Most of the world throughout history, and still a large part of the world now, is not asking this question 32 times a week. What do I want to eat? Like, that question's already answered by what they have. Like, what's the first thing that your kids get asked in the kindergarten or preschool that they talk about at the end of the year? Maybe we don't, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the answer so we don't like stir around it for a lot. They, what do you want to be when you grow up? I remember like that's like all the preschool kids, they, they bring them up, they're like, what do you want to be? And you know, I can't remember which one of our kids was like, I want to be a Sonic person, you know, taking out the orders of Sonic. I'm like, shoot high. <laughs> and you know, that's... It's, it's there, it's like, it's so, it's like the first question that we ask kids, like almost when they could talk is, what would you like to be when you grow up? What would you like to eat? Like, what do you do, most of you do, how many of you watch TV before you go to sleep at night? Raise your hand. What question do you ask yourself? What do I want to watch? You know, I, it's, it's amusing to me because my kids, my parents, we don't have cable. How many of you have not had cable for like an eon? Like, I haven't had cable for like 12 years. And my kids go over to my parents' house who have cable. And the other day, their Netflix or, I don't know, Apple TV wasn't working. And the kids wanted to watch some TV. And my dad was like, well, the kids won't, they just, they won't watch like, you know, normal TV where they can't choose what they want to watch. Like, this idea of like, I'm going to pick a station and it's just going to be whatever it is. Like, they couldn't even process that. Do you realize how often you are asking the question, what do I want? No society in human history has been presented with this question more often than us. Every algorithm, every aspect of our culture is catering to this question, what do you want? Every part of it. Our entire economy, like imagine the billions and billions of dollars of power and money and wealth, our entire economy is extracting from you this question, what do you want, and extracting from you with the question. Like, it's just, I don't know. I don't think we think about the fact that the way of life that we live within does not call us typically to ask the question, how do I please God? Are you with me? There's like a different question that can be asked besides the question that we ask a thousand times a day. And I don't think that we can even understand how deeply embedded this is in our psyche. Last week, I talked about Proverbs 21, verse 5. And 
I'm going to make a point about last week because I was sharing this with Kevin Sipes. I was like, you know, I was like, a lot of pastors talk about being their own worst critic. I'm actually not my own worst critic. I, 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 like I have a friend who's another pastor, and sometimes he's like, well, how's your sermon this week? And I'll be like, oh, it was a four, or next week I might be like, it was a nine. You know, like, I'm completely, like, like I might be wrong, but, like, I'm willing to give myself a bad grade or a good grade. Um, and and I'm, I feel, like, pretty realistic. But I was like, you know, I was like, I missed an opportunity last week to say something that I really wanted to say. And so I was just, you know, like, I don't think that every week. It's probably a year goes along, you know, before I think that thought. But last week I thought, ah. There's something I missed that I needed to say. I'm going to say it this week. And I think it's important and it fits. So I read this, 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 this passage, Proverbs 21, verse 5, says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but those of everyone who is hasty will surely lead to poverty. I'll skip you a lot of the commentary and say that when I imagine the word diligent, I imagine sort of like hardworking, like, you know, work hard. In this proverb, Solomon contrasts diligence with hastiness. He doesn't contrast it with laziness. He does at times contrast it with laziness. But in this moment, he contrasts diligence with hastiness. Because I think that most of the things that God does in our life, not all, But most of the truly fundamental things that God does, He does slowly in diligence, not in haste. In fact, Jesus confirms this when He tells a parable of four soils. The first soil is the seed that's thrown out on the path. It's like hitting this concrete. It gets snatched by the birds. That's what He says. The second soil is the one that gets thrown into shallow soil. It it takes root quickly, but it doesn't go deep because the soil is shallow, and it goes up quickly, and it and it and then it gets burned out from the sun. The third one finds good soil, but gets choked. It gets choked by thorns, which are the worries of this life, the cares of this life, the riches, the deceitfulness of riches. And the fourth one is the soil where it grows up and is fruitful because it's not impeded and it's good in good soil. And I made this thinking that I think most Christians live, I think we, if, if, you know, if you mature in your faith, I think all of us are a little bit of the last two soils. Like, we have thorns that we need God to come and strip away. And listen, if you know anything about gardening or whatever, like thorns have to be stripped away. Things that are weeds and all this kind of stuff, they, have, they literally have to be removed. You can't, they don't just like automatically aren't there. They have to remove them. But I think that what happens when we get there is we often romanticize about the plant that pops up quickly overnight with joy. We sort of idolize that. We're like, well, I'm just bogged down by the worries of this world. And we want to have something that just is boom. Growth, joy, awesome excitement. How many of you can reminisce with this? I agree with like, if you think back, we were trying to solve your problem of life. You're like, man, I just need to just, you know, boom, joy. And, but most of the things that God does, he, he does slowly. And so that was the, 
that was the, uh, the thought of last week. The, the thing that I didn't say, that I wish I had said, is that you are being formed slowly by something. There are many things in your life, questions, thoughts, patterns, that are diligently and slowly shaping you into something. It's not a matter of if there's some slow work going on, it's just what slow work is going on in your life. One of the slow works that's going on in our life is that we are bombarded, bombarded by the question, what do I want? And this question is shaping us more than we know. How many of you can see it? But Jesus asked this question to Peter, do you love me? And I want to throw into your calculus, into your algorithm that hopefully glitches your system a little bit, not like, what do I want? But how do I please God? How do I please God? I think that I actually have decided that I didn't grow up inundated with this. I think for many people, we, some people in the church grew up with a theology implicitly that says, you can't please God. How many of you had a little bit of that? You can't please God, number one. And number two, you better try doggone hard to do even though you can't. <laughs> How many of you could write through that a little bit? You know, like, you can't do it. You better, you better work hard at it, though. <laughs> and so I think what culture in, our, in the church world has done over the last 20, 30 years is try to relieve that tension by saying, you don't have to do anything because He loves you. And He does love you. But He also is asking you to discern how you can please Him. Like, we see, sing songs like, I don't have to do a thing. And that's true sometimes. But it's not always true. There's actually a responsibility of love. There is a responsibility of love. When, when Jesus asks Peter the question, do you love me? And he's like, yes, I love you. He goes, he says, what? Then feed my sheep. This is not a message about sheep feeding. I'm saying that God's love for us is infinite. It's unconditional. But he's, asked, he, he's actually looking for us to inquire of Him, to live a life that pleases Him. We aren't supposed to defer all of this relationship to Him. Our Christian life is not an infinite prayer with God of what do I want? There's another question, which is how do I please God? And this actually is an important question. Are you with me? When you wake up and you pray and you seek God in the morning, 
I'm not saying you have to do this, but let me just make this point. When you wake up and you pray and you seek God in the morning against your impulse, against what you are naturally inclined to do, to please God, to know Him more, you are doing something deeply countercultural or countercultural and revolutionary. There is this notion that's crept into the minds of Christians that I will only do for God that which I want to do. That is, I cannot, all the words that come into my mind are all bad words. <laughs> I just like literally impulse is like, oh, don't use a bad word. Like, <laughs> it is not true. There are many things that we will have to do in a life of love that means working against our impulses. Like, how many of you, your marriage works really good by only doing the things you want to do? No! (laughs) Doesn't work that way. Like, (laughs) this is, I want you to see this. There are rhythms shaping your life. The reason why rhythms in our life with God are so important in our pleasure of Him is that we're acting in a countercultural way. We're acting against our impulses. We're acting against the current of society by just saying, you know what? I'm not going to watch three hours of TV today. I'm going to wake up in the morning and seek the Lord. The only question in our mind should not be, what do I want? I think what we do so often, and I'm telling you, if you think about this, (laughs) some of this is just examining my own brokenness, but I think when we do so often, is we do the very opposite of what Hebrews says, is we try to use our understanding to work out what is good for us. The the invitation of the writer of Hebrews is, by faith you can please God. And our thinking is, how do I use my understanding to figure out what is good for me? Are you with me? How many of you live in worry, trying to figure out what is going to make a good life? You live in anxiety over it. It's like, you can't, you, I mean, that question is not only present, but it is so, it creates, I, I wonder if it's one of, I wonder if it might be the root cause of the increasing anxiety globally, that we're constantly bombarded with trying to figure out what is it that I want? I don't even know what I want. I don't know if I want fried chicken or a burger. Like, we're bombarded with it all the time. I'm going to share a poem I wrote with you. This poem is about this idea. I haven't done a poem in the middle of a sermon. They work better at the end, if I'm honest. So I don't know how this is going to work. But we're going to do it. And I wrote this um, thinking about how all of our culture calls for our attention and how God, how we do, like how many of you do have a desire to please God? And so I just kind of like thinking about those two things. And so, all right, I'll read you my poem. You don't have to like it. Wait a minute, does it start over here? Ah, here it is. 
You call us, and you call us again. Our hearts wander like a cow from his barn, waiting for the dinner bell or the dinner horn. It's not that we don't want to do right. We forget. We forget hard and often, like ADD kids carrying on a conversation. But whose attention could be normal in an age where our attention is a commodity that advertisers see and plan to free? free for a fee into a world they create that aimlessly leads to hateful fates. Fates we worship just like Molech that has eyes, ears, and a mouth but cannot see, hear, or speak. Cannot answer the pain you're left with after years of fruitful hopes. Then Netflix is all you have to remove yourself from the hole that's growing and shrinking like space bending in the universe that swallows worlds and light, collapsing upon itself with no might to resist. And in the end, nothing. Removed from memory itself as if it never existed. Did we ever exist if all we became was the suction on matter around, growing faster and more inevitable? Did you ever let Him make you into you? I want to be what He wants me to be. I must stop creating or at least stealing their creations and being stolen in the process to nothing. But every day the dinner bell rings. Or was it a horn? I don't know. Very happy poem. (laughs) Thanks for the clap. Snaps. Have I sufficiently named the question that's, that's often in our minds? Okay. That's what I hope that you see, is that there is another question, how do I please you, that can exist instead of what do I want? I don't mean to say that God doesn't care about what he, we want. He does. But maybe we've a little bit overemphasized that question. You think that's fair to say? I think maybe even in our teaching. Susanna talks about exchanges. I told her this morning I was going to reference you. She talks about these exchanges, and she's shared this a couple of times in prayer, and, and how God is a great, what do you call him, the great exchanger. And I want us to see an exchange here. There is an exchange in Hebrews eleven six. It says, but without, but without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Look at this exchange. When we seek to please Him by faith, we come to a God who is a rewarder. We come to a God who is a rewarder. Like, I want to mention, it also says here, those who diligently seek Him. Hey, there's that word again from Proverbs. Not hasty, not, you know, not the boom joy plant, but the slow... Those who diligently seek Him. Like, there's a persistent, slow, not hasty. But when we seek Him by faith, we come to God who is a rewarder. Now, what we get to exchange when we take, depending on our understanding, and taking faith instead, is we get to exchange God who is a rewarder being the one 
to discern in our souls what will bring us a good life. You get to exchange your figuring out what will make life good with His invitation into what will make life good. Who do you think is going to do a better job of making life good? Like He's going to be the one. Like, I want the God of infinite wisdom to be the one leading me towards what John 10 calls life and life abundantly, not my understanding and not my way of figuring out myself. Like, I, I'm all for soul searching and vulnerability, but I think very often we've spent 99% of our reflecting of our own soul rather than His face. I'm, I'm, hear me, I'm not saying it's not valuable. It is. It is valuable to know ourselves. And He speaks to this in Scripture. But I do believe that He's better at drawing out what is goodness for us. Look at this exchange. So you get, you're figuring out what good life is to him figuring out. All you have to do is say, okay, what do I want, what do I do to please God? And the exchange is he's now the rewarder and he's the one trying to figure out what will please you. I'll take that deal. I'll take that deal. The second thing that we get is when we give him faith instead of relying on our understanding, guess what he does? He gives us understanding. Hebrews 11:1 1 says, "By faith we what?" understand. When we allow faith to lead us to Him, the, all of Scripture shows that this is a faith of in, unending, growing understanding. Like, it just constantly gets multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. This is not a faith that removes your mind from the equation. This is a faith that, that loves your increasing understanding. Like, that's that's deeply a part of it. But, but how do we do that? We give Him the one thing we can give, which is faith, and He comes back and then He adds to our faith understanding. That's what the epistles tell us. So look at the exchanges here. I get God figuring out what pleases me, and I get Him giving me understanding. If I come to Him by faith, trying to figure out what pleases Him. So back to this question. How do I please? I just want to put this question in your heart. How do I please God? Like, I hope that this question comes back to your memory 32 times a day. It's going to overcome the amount of times you have to say, what do I want? The Bible talks about our desires and they are good, but it's possible to make too much emphasis on them. Like, even when we look at Abraham's journey of faith, was Abraham's journey of faith, God, I have it as a desire in my heart to go on a journey to a land that I do not know. Will you take me there? Oh, yes. By the way, Abraham, I'm going to take you on a land that you do not know. No, that's not how it comes. He, he gets an invitation by God to go somewhere that he's not. And by faith, he follows him before he understands anything. Before he realizes where he's going, that it will be good, or any of that, he just leads him. And then when he gets there, 
He gains understanding by acting in faith. We have to, like, I've realized, one of the things I've realized is that understanding comes slowly and activation of faith normally happens quickly. Like, we need to, it's not like it's only one time, but oftentimes God comes to us and He's like, will you be obedient right now? And we have to be obedient before we have the full picture. And as we go, he gets, he's like, oh, well, I was doing this, and I was doing this, and I was doing this in you. But oftentimes when he's leading us, we kind of have to just go. And then the understanding comes as we go. So, so look at these exchanges. The exchanges are, if I, if I, God, if I focus on pleasing you, then I get the God of all heavens and earth trying to help me live a life that is abundant and good and pleasing. If, if I first, God, come to you in faith, believing that you are, as Hebrews eleven six says, that you are and that you're a rewarder, then I will get understanding too. So there's an exchange here that's happening. But I want to bring you back to the question, how do I please God? How do I please God? How do we please God? I know for sure that it's impossible without faith, so that's an ingredient. But I'm going to have a stand. We're going to finish in a really short prayer that we're going to pray together. And then I'm going to bring you to the table that we're going to be announce, do announcements and be done. Really short prayer. Do you have it? Okay, there we go. All right, I want us to say these things together. This is like some confession of truth right now. We've been on a question. I hope you linger with the question, but these are, this is just some confession of truth that I wrote down this morning to summarize this. Say this with me. God desires to reward me with good and abundant life. I can trust Him. By faith, I can please God. You desire to give me understanding, but I must trust you first. I can see the lies of the enemy. I choose to believe the truth you give us. I choose to walk in your ways. Help me by faith. <laughs> Help me by faith to walk in your ways that I may please you. Amen.